My guest today is Ben Howarth. Ben is a financial advisor and financial service executive with Barnum Financial Group. He helps his clients along with his team define what they want, determine where they are in their relation to their goals, and provides a strategy to help clients achieve these goals. He has worked in the industry for many years, and I know his story will be sure to inspire and provide insights into what it takes to be a great advocate for your clients. I'm Paul Blanco, and this is Small Steps, Big Wins. Well, welcome to the show, Ben. I'm so excited to have you here. And I know that you were uh, doing a little work last week. I get nervous when you're out in the field on tractors and stuff. And I know how you grew up, but it does make me nervous that you're out there doing that stuff. Uh, we need you. So right. but welcome. Did you have fun doing it at least? Had fun. It was good to get outside and, uh, you know, actually do some manual labor and not push a pen and talk on the phone and be on Zoom meetings. So nice to yeah. get outside and get some sun, but appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, so, Ben, you've had an amazing career so far. And, you know, I know you're really just beginning, but I'd like to go backwards a little bit and try to let the audience understand how you got really started in the career and what attracted you to financial services. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question. And I've, you know, kind of thought a lot about that throughout my career. And when I was younger, I always wanted to do something with stocks. And there was actually a movie called Secret to My Success with Michael J. Fox. I don't know if you've sure. ever seen it, but yes, I um, I could always like see myself. He was in the mailroom and kind of worked himself up into like the CEO position. And I always really liked helping people, wanted to do something with stocks. And that's kind of how I got into it, uh, looking in different career paths in college and decided, hey, I can help people. I can manage stocks. I can do insurance. And thought it was going to be a good avenue for me to, to do the things that I liked. So it's interesting. So you come in right out of college and, you know, you have this vision for yourself and did you hit challenges early? And then were they, were those different? Like when you were like five, eight years in than they were in the beginning? hundred, hundred percent. When I first started, one of the reasons why I chose this company was I had two different, uh, options. I could have gone to like UBS and been somebody's, I don't know, errand guy for a couple of years, or I could have started and really been entrepreneurial and be on my own. And I said, listen, I've got the, the makeup to do this. I can do this. I want to make a bunch of money. But challenges when I first started, I, I remember sitting at my desk and we had uh, the one cards that we had to draw out, you know, your market match. Sure. And I had my computer, I had my market match and I had a phone said, all right, I'm here. Now, what the heck do I do? I lived 45, 50 minutes from the office. Uh, my mom's a teacher. My, my father was in the lumber industry. And I'm like, all right, it's not like I've got all these people to call. And even if I did, who am I? Like, what do I do? So when I very, very first started, it, it was challenging. And 21-year-old um, kid, I looked like I was 12 with, without the goatee. I probably still would look like I'm 12. But, um, it, <laughs> I, don't know. Was, I don't know about 12. Maybe, maybe not now. Maybe, maybe 25. Maybe 25. Maybe 25. My hair's getting thin. <laughs> so, right? But uh, it's tough when you first start because you don't know what to do. So what I did was I really tried to lean on experienced advisors. There was two advisors in the office that... 
I would go out with and my manager at the time. And what I tried to do was take a little bit from everything that they did and mold it to my own personality. And I think one of the areas I got myself into trouble is I thought I could do it on my own. And the problem is that when you first start, you don't know what you don't know. And that silent objection from the client may be that they know you don't know what you don't know because you look like, you know, you're a young kid and you don't have the experience. So I think as I moved throughout my career and and that changed and said, listen, I got to lean on these people more. I got to bring more people. Um, I got to utilize the resources that I have available to me to help me close more cases. And yes, I, I had to split some of the business, but that was my cost of education. And the next case I was able to do better on my own and the next one better on my own. So um, that those were some of the like really, really early challenges that I had in my career um, when I, when I first started. You know, it's interesting and I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, a lot of advisors, you know, obviously you're in sales, even though you're getting, you know, I always try to think about, you know, we're not like selling widgets here. You're helping clients make financial decisions. And I think that once you get the facts and their goals, really the only thing you're trying to do is help them through procrastination. And it's not, it's not really sales. It's just getting them to make a decision on the things they already agreed to. But advisors have egos and sometimes that gets in the way of doing the joint work or learning like that. And I think what you said was really important that, you know, and make sure you guys realize this, he paid for that, but it's like college. You want to pay for it, but you don't want to pay for it twice. So you better learn along the way and take all the stuff out of you so you can use it in your business. And then I think the other thing too, is learning one product really, really well. It's like you're, you're honing your skills, you're, you're adding arrows into your quiver. And I really tried to learn life insurance so, so well when I, when I first started, then I said, I'm going to learn the variable life insurance better. And then I'm going to learn annuities and then I'm going to learn this and then learn that. So I tried to take a product at a time and really become an expert at that, that particular thing and know as much as I could about it. I would read, I would listen and uh, go to meetings with the wholesalers and just pick their brain and try to learn and, and just be a sponge. I think you can learn from everybody. And I think one of the, the other things is that you don't know what you're going to run into when you sit down with, with new people. We used to have these little X05 cards. So um, there were like enforced clients that had like a life insurance policy. And, and I would drive all over the place and meet with these clients. It was way before Zoom. And um, you'd ask questions and learn. And you either learned how to ask questions better, you learned how to overcome objections, but no matter what you were learning and what you were doing. And I think that helped me throughout my career. It also helped me train newer advisors as, as I try to mentor some people now. Well, there's uh it's awesome, Ben. And there's a stat now that's pretty, pretty, uh, it's kind of sad when you think about our industry, right? Our goal is to help people retire, right? And be able to out, not outlive their money. And then where you just went was to protect themselves if something happens on all the different products on that's so on the insurance side. As of today, in 2011, 37% of Americans didn't have life insurance. Today, it's 50%. And it's 101 million Americans are either underinsured or uninsured. And really, as an advisor, for everyone listening, it's a great place to start. Don't ever forget that and keep building on that because we're really needed more than ever out there on that message. So I appreciate you sharing that. Going one thing on that too is yeah, you know, please talk about where the industry's going and those types of things with regards to robo advisors. You can do this online. 
But the robo-advisor isn't going to say to you, well, listen, you've got $250,000 of insurance. And if you pass away and your wife now can't work the overtime or your husband can't work the overtime, you've got more daycare. Like that's computer system isn't talking to you about that. So I think we're always going to be needed to educate people and say, well, did you think about this? And ask those really tough questions that maybe they weren't thinking of and looking at it in a different perspective. And that's what we do every single day in in helping people to decide on how do they protect their families? How do they retire? How do they do this? And um, which is why I think we're always going to be needed. Yeah. When I started over 30 years ago, 5% of the business was done through the mail. Today, only 6% is done digitally, right? So all the money is being invested there, but it's not what you said. The answer is digitally enabled advisor assisted and using the technology like you've referred to Zoom or how everything's become digital. But that's um, that's the future. No one's ever going to do it without an advisor. So I agree with you on that. So, you know, you're going through this. You obviously didn't start in the mailroom, so that's good. Today, you fast forward and we'll get into, you are a CEO, which is amazing. And you're in the top probably half a percent of the whole industry in terms of the level of business that you've built and your team. Was there a turning point in your career where you said, all right, I know you well enough to know you never will say you arrived even today, but was there a point that you said it's clicked, I get it. And like I am going to become the CEO and that vision you had from the Michael J. Fox movie, you could see the reality was going to happen. Tell me about it. And maybe there was multiple times that that happened. Yeah, there was definitely a couple of times throughout my career. I think one of the things that I said very early in my career was that no one is going to outwork me. And I may not be the smartest. I, I may not have the best natural market. I may not have you know the best lead sources or whatever, but if I just work harder than everybody around me, going to be successful. So that's something that I've adopted and continued throughout my career. But I think one of the major turning points for me was not just leaning on, well, there's lead sources. I said, I, when I first sat down, they said, if you see 15 people a week, you set 15 appointments a week, you're going to be successful. The way I looked at it was I said, all right, well, that's 60 people a month. I don't know 60 people that every month over month I can get in front of. So how am I going to do this? But I tried to break it down in very small bits. And I call it my bucket theory, where I said, well, if I can meet a couple mortgage brokers, if I can meet a couple accountants, a couple real estate people, a couple property and casualty people, and each one of those people could give me one or two new people to sit down with a month, then that's part of the 60 people. So I'm not fishing all in the same bucket. So I had to network. So I kept really, really close track of my hours, my dials, but also my networking hours and how many times I was sitting down with an attorney, an accountant, a mortgage broker. And I tried to build this network of people so that now my business last year was 86% of our new clients that we brought on were new dollars were really referred to us. And that was a major, major turning point in my career because I still did all the other stuff. I still called the XL5s. I still mailed out mortgage letters to people that that recently bought a mortgage, still did joint work, but I added a little bit more. And um, by doing that networking, it really, really helped me to work smarter, not harder. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's interesting as you're saying that, you know, I'm thinking as a client, you've built sort of an asset allocation 
for your prospecting because it's so critical, but you didn't say, all right, one source or no sources. And, and when you fast forward to today, cause that was early career. Is it the same model? Is it different? Is yes. are, you, are you adding, are you adding legs to that allocation all the time? Or is it pretty much you got your six or seven sources and, and you're, and you're there. Yeah. Always adding sources, um, especially now with zoom, we're kind of all over the country. So we're meeting new people, but I think what I didn't realize very early on by building those referral sources, it wasn't just good for me. It was good for my client. I'm now helping the clients with their estate plan, helping clients with their taxes, helping clients sell their home, their property casualty. So I built a wall around the client where they got great advice and great resources but then I learned about what was going on there. So I still do that today. I meet with a number of accountants, attorneys. I think one of the things is, is now that I kind of got like super uh, networker, right? So it's like, I've got one or two attorneys, one or two accountants that I use depending upon the areas, but I still branch out and meet with new people, but we've continued to, to build and, and try to meet new people in the industry because it sharpens my pencil as well when I'm meeting with clients exciting. You know, so you had this mindset, right? You start out as a solo practitioner and, you know, you're going along the way and you're on this journey. You know, you said a couple of things that are important. If you're, if you're sitting somewhere and write, you know, write it down, if not, you know, go back and listen and make sure you get these notes. But, you know, Ben talked about one hard work two lifelong learner, right? Which I think is really great. And, you know, kind of checking your ego at the door and, and be willing to be that sponge and then networking. But some point in your career, probably five, six, maybe eight years in, you decided to start teaming and building that enterprise. You probably hired your first staff person probably a little earlier on than that. Why don't you talk about, you know, going from that advisor role to really becoming a business owner and then fast forward to today being an entrepreneur and how that mindset worked for you. Yeah, 100%. I think hiring staff very early on, what we did was there was three of us and we split one staff member. And I did the math. Like I knew if I wrote one more case, how much each case size was worth. I knew how many dials I needed to make in order to sell one more case. So I said, if I can free up I split a, a sales associate, like a, a staff member. If I can free up 10 hours, how many more sales can I do? And is yeah. that going to pay for their salary? So I did it with, with one. I split that one person with three people. Then we went down to two. Then I went to just me having one person. Then I hired two staff members and we've continued to build. And managing is definitely something that is difficult and, and probably one of my biggest challenges, right? Because the hard part is they may not have the same work ethic as you, and it's it's hard. Um, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. I was I was always a team sports guy. I, I played baseball, I played soccer, I played basketball. So I knew I needed a team around me because you I just couldn't achieve it alone. I needed help so that I could do what I was good at and let somebody else do all the other things so that I could replicate more sales and, and more cases. So that's that's really how I got going with that teaming aspect. And we've continued to build. We've got nine full-time sales members. And then we've got some team members that are advisors that we work with, but just staff members, nine full-time people now that are doing paperwork and reaching out to clients to try to deliver that unparalleled experience to clients 
is if they have that unparalleled experience, they're going to refer you because they want other people to have that same experience that, that they have. Yeah. And now let's think about it, guys. When did you hire your first one? Probably 12, 13 years ago. Uh, more than that. I, I mean, yeah. I, I started in 2002, so it was probably three years in that I split somebody. Yeah. So three years in, I, I had so, my eight, first. so 18 years ago, you start with one staff. And today, you know, you have nine full-time staff people on your team. And then that those nine people support how many advisors? Um, there's probably five or six of us. We just hired a new one, six that we're working with, two that are partnered like a law practice. The other ones we're, we're teaming with, but they're doing all different aspects of, of the business and letting me see more people. I mean, think of it this way. If your average case size is $1,000, if that staff member that you're paying could, could free up enough time for you to, to write one more case, Right. That thousand dollars pays for that staff member. So you, you can't like hire the staff member and then go out on the golf course and hang out. Like it's not to to replace you, it's to replicate you. So yep. you can do the things that you're good at. But every time we've hired more staff, we've gone way up in production. So I don't know why I just don't take over the whole whole Rhode Island area and just keep <laughs> hiring staff. And then I but you know, it's it's hard, it's challenging to 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 manage, but um it's definitely worth it. If you if you're thinking about hiring a staff member, and we've talked about this before, if if you think you you need them, you're you're probably too late. You should yep. have hired them already. No doubt. And and I remember, you know, in the early part of my career teaching advisors like you're spending 60 grand, you're tax deducting it. It frees up one case and, you know, you were one of the people that really took advantage of that. And, and now you're building an enterprise and, you know, sky's the limit for what you can do. And I think you have the right attitude because you made the shift from the business owner to the entrepreneur. So let's, let's stay on that for a little bit. So, you know, as I said earlier, you're definitely ramping up and you're just getting started in your career. I mean, as an advisor, it's not like we're out digging ditches. We're learning and getting better every single day. So there's really no, your body doesn't give in as long as you keep working with your mind properly and you're careful on the tractor, right? So right, as you definitely. do that, you're this entrepreneur now, you know, where is, what is the, you know, if we fast forward and I was to bring you back in 10 years, what would you say? You know, what's your vision for you and your team and where is it going? Yeah, I think one of the things that I would like to do long term in my career is to mentor um, and have the people underneath me do as well as I'm doing. And then eventually get to the point where I have better balance. I think one of the things I've always struggled with in, in my career is that balance, that that life work balance, it's never going to be equal, but I would like to maybe work less hours, but still see and make a meaningful impact on people's lives um, and utilize technology in a, in a better way uh, so that I can, can see maybe more top tier clients um, with more assets, but my team is going to deliver that same experience to some of the other clients that, that maybe are going to benefit from being with them more because they're going to get more attention. So I think long-term, if I look 10 years from now, maybe I'm, I'm not working as many hours, but I'm still working with the right clients um, and, and helping people. You know, I, I won an award. It was a little while ago because I'm, I'm over 40 now, but it was 40 under 40. And they, they asked me, um, what do I want my legacy to be? 
you look back at your career and I took a while to think about it. And I said, if I think about the people throughout my lifetime that I've been able to have an impact on the colleges that were paid for the weddings that were paid for the retirements we've helped plan. Unfortunately, the death claims that we've paid, we've had a number of clients throughout my 22, 23 year career that have passed away and we're delivering a check that's now their kids can still go to college or their wife's going to still have the the right retirement. The husband's able to stay in the home, even though the wife who was the banker passed away, you know, those are, are things that you you've impacted people's lives. And I think about the spheres of impact and um, you know, it's a, it's a huge ripple effect. Yeah. And, and as you're listening here, guys is if, when you get what Ben just said, all the stuff that we talked about, the business owner, the entrepreneur, lifelong learning, until you understand what he just said, the impact you're going to make, that's the thing. It's interesting, Ben. I know you teach in the corporate ed plan smart program. And I said this to someone the other day, one of your peers, I said, think about this. Those are all the people that are working with you. All the clients you just talked about. How about all the people that you've taught over the years that took your advice, maybe didn't go with you because they had someone or their parents had someone, you know, or their friend and they're using your advice. So your legacy is all over the place. And now having you being national, you know, is a, is a huge deal. So let's go on the national thing for a minute and technology. So I know that you and your team has embraced technology on a day-to-day basis, like CRM system, like Zoom, um, and it's helped you with scaling. And and before you answer, you know, three years ago, you were fighting for that goal that you had of seeing 15, maybe even you were seeing 20, but you were driving and they were coming into the office. But fast forward today, due to using Zoom and some other technologies, how many people will you see individually uh, yourself on a weekly basis now? Oh, yeah. Technology has absolutely changed our, our, our life. And, you know, we were seeing a lot of people, but I was driving all over the place. Clients were coming into me. Um, but I probably see 30 people a week. I would say at least 30 people a week. Um, and on Monday through Friday, I won't work Saturdays anymore. Early in my career, Saturdays was not optional. Yeah. I had to work Saturdays. But um, I'm now Monday through Friday. And um, Zoom has made a massive impact. Salesforce and utilizing it the right way to make sure that you are touching people when you need to touch them and, and reaching out uh, for anniversaries and, and reviews. I had a client who new client that was referred to me last night who sat down with me and he said, my advisor's doing a decent job of the investments, but he never reaches out to me. And it's not the investments, it's that they don't reach out and I never see them. And I don't feel like I'm important to them anymore. Well, if you utilize technology, you can set it up to have unintentional, intentional touches to talk to your clients on a regular basis and, and deliver an unparalleled experience, but you got to use the technology. You can't just do it on yourself and just put it on a calendar anymore. It doesn't work that way. You've got to leverage the technology to, to see more people. And it's just efficient. You're back to back seeing people. It's, it's great. It's, it's changed our entire practice over the last three years. Zoom you think about, you know, I, I live in Connecticut. I've got offices in Rhode Island and Connecticut. That was our pond, right? There maybe a little bit of Massachusetts, but now the world is our pond. Every single person in the world is our prospect. So it's just opened up a, a lot of opportunity for us. Yeah, which is amazing. And and I think from a client standpoint, I think that they prefer it. 
because, you know, especially I, I remember when my mother would have someone come over, she'd have to clean up the kitchen, make sure it's right, put on the coffee. It's Zoom now, right? They could, and when you hang up, you hang up. You don't have to walk them out. And it's so much more efficient with sharing yeah. documents and all that. And, you know, you have to, and and guys, don't take it lightly. Ben is creating the similar experience on Zoom as he is in person. So you have to get really good and be technical and not just say I'm on zoom. Now you have to do all those other things and then go a little deeper. I think too many people don't understand that when you talk about a CRM system and touching base with your clients at the right times and having it automated and all that good stuff, but you're doing a lot more with stuff with Salesforce, meaning your workflows of how you communicate with your team and your nine staff, your emails to your clients are automated. So how, what's your mindset around that and, and your team? Yeah. So we use Salesforce for everything. It, it helps us. We've got a practice manager now that tracks tasks, make sure that all the tasks are done. But if you've got to reach out to a, a client, a life insurance client and say, Hey, we, we've got to make a decision on this. And you just put a task in a week from now, you just plan it out. If it's a client who was hitting a significant work anniversary, I talked to him about it last year and our discussion is, that, oh yeah, I'm going to hit 30 years this year. It was in the Salesforce system. We use it for marketing. So we market to Salesforce. How many times have we reached out to the client? Every email I send the client gets pulled back into Salesforce. So it's saved so that when I meet with a client, I know exactly what we talked about recently. We use it for clients that hit 59 and a half. It's a great age to talk to people. We market to that. 64 and a half, we market to Medicare. 70, now three. You had different iterations for the RMDs. But we're reaching out to people and trying to deliver timely information that how would you ever be able to do that before without a CRM system to track it with Excel? Like, how do you, it would just be impossible. You took the words out of my mouth. I know there's people out there that are using Excel or maybe not using anything. But I also think that, you know, the way Ben's talking, he's talking about the tool, but you have to put a lot of effort in and you have to, you use the word manage earlier, but you have to really lead your people through that. And you truly are an entrepreneur and you do that naturally. Many of you on the call, as you launch that into your practice, you have to be very intentional how you do it, because it doesn't just happen by mistake. You don't just show up and buy a tool and then it, it works for you. So, you know, congratulations on your vision for that and how you're leading through that. I think the other thing is you've got to realize where you've got your opportunities. I won't say deficiencies, your opportunities, right? Technology was not really my thing. So I surrounded myself with, hey, I need to hire some people that are really good with technology so they can help me I've got the vision. I can tell them what I want and they can help me with some of the output and Barnum. I mean, some of the team members there and the things that they're building inside of Salesforce, you don't even have to think about it. Like uh, the vision is built and you just have to utilize the tools that are there, you know, know where you have your strengths and areas of opportunity and hire to that. Yeah, that's great. So talk about teaching. You do a lot of teaching and you know, you're teaching in corporations and it sounds like that has changed dramatically, right? Because you used to drive to those corporations, you know, all over the place, early career. Now you're doing them Zoom, but now you're teaching on a national basis and 
has that changed a lot or is it the same thing? And you're just, now you're just seeing clients differently. Yeah, I think, I think it's changed the actual dynamic in the workshop. So one of the things that's great in person is that you're getting people to talk. And when we first started and and made the transition to teach on zoom, it it took a while to get used to trying to engage people. So you, you definitely have to engage people, but you're transitioning from that. It's the same information. It's the same deliverables. And then you're giving them a great experience. They can sit at their desk. They can hopefully not be doing too many other things while you're talking, but they can be doing some other stuff as as you're going. It's convenient for them. Uh, Their spouses can get on. So it's really been great. But a lot of times with teaching, you are doing pro bono stuff like you talked about earlier, and they're taking that information and moving forward, but you're helping people. There was a, a, a girl... Um, she's probably in her, her mid twenties. She had a ton of college debt and I sat down with her and just went over a budgeting system, right? I didn't make any money, but I just helped her with budgeting. And about a year later, she emailed me and said, Ben, I just bought my first condo. If I didn't do that budgeting system, I never would have been able to do that. Right. I didn't make any money with her, but who knows what happens in the future when she has a family, who's she going to call yeah. to help her with life insurance? Who's she going to help with her, her retirement plan? Who's When she inherits money, who's she going to call, right? So just do the right thing for people and it will work out, right? You can't always not make money, right? You got to meet prospects without money, but, but <laughs> you know, do the right thing for people and it's going to work out, uh, but you have to care. You, you, you yeah. got to care in this business. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. So staying on that, Ben, you talked earlier about the network and all the people you've touched and all the stuff you do, but, you know, we can't thank you enough here at Barnum for, you know, we've talked about that you should service the communities that you work in and live in. And you've taken that to the umpteenth level being on the board of the foundation, Barnum foundation for life, but single-handedly just from a vision standpoint and helping us do so many different things, but why don't you talk about your mindset of giving back to your community and, and paying it forward? With my family, you know, we've always been fortunate to be in a good spot and always learn to give back. But I, I think with Barnum, with the Foundation for Life, one of the first events that I went to was one of the Bikes for Kids events. And we give out, for those of you that don't know, about 500 bikes a year to underprivileged children. We did prior to the COVID and not being able to get the bikes. But the impact that you have on the children, there was a child at one of these events and it was at a, a home for children that had been taken out of their house and because they were in a bad living situation. And one of the little kids, as we brought like 20 bikes to these children, they're like, you mean we don't all have to share the good bike? You know, it, giving back, I've been fortunate in my life. It feels great to be able to give back and make an impact on other people because we are fortunate, right? We work hard, but we make a good living. And if we can help somebody else, put them in a better financial position, put them in a, put a smile on their face with a bike, or we just did an event with a make a a, a wish um, child and made their wish come true. It's, it just makes you feel good at the end of the day. And it's a hard business, right? You're you're working your tail off every single day. Um, you got a lot of things. You got a lot of stress. The stock market being down last year or during COVID, right? It's a stressful job. But at the end of the day, if you can make an impact on people's lives and what you do, and then make an impact in the community, you feel good about yourself at the end of the day. And that's that's a part of why I do it selfishly is because I feel good being able to do that um, and, and make that impact. It's great. Um, 
you know, I want to go back to something you said earlier. And, you know, I would say that as someone, you know, just sitting here watching what you're building and growing and just beginning in your career, your statement about having more time for yourself, I think you've done a really good job of balance. Because remember, balance is always in the eye of the beholder. And, you know, people are running around our society and seeing things on Instagram and thinking, well, I have to do that, or I have to have this balance. And you have to do what you enjoy in life. And I think you've done that. And I know that you're more present in the moments. And that's what, as you continue to grow, just being more present, I think is what you need in your life, right? And maybe not doing some of the, you know, I think as you, uh, as you're building practices, everyone here, you get to give up some of the things, you know, Ben did the paperwork and stuff in the beginning, but then he got to give that up. And that's how you continue to grow and move on. But, you know, I really commend you for all that stuff. Um, being present is important, right? Like wholesalers will say, hey, can I take you out for dinner or steak? Like it just doesn't do anything for me. When I'm here, I'm here. Yeah. But when I'm with my friends, with my family, with my spouse, I, I want to be there. And I don't want to worry about work. So I think being intentional about that, being present, you know, is important to have yeah. that balance because it's never going to be equal. But uh, being intentional about saying, I'm going to be where my feet are. Correct. And I think that's important for balance. Yeah. And I think, you know, for some of the people just getting into the business world, be careful with that because, you know, you might think balance is X and it's really Y, right? So yeah. last question for you. I mean, like I said, top half percent of the industry, you know, we talked about where you're going to go 10 years, but you know, immediately you got great momentum now. What's next? Yeah, never stop growing. Uh, I think, you know, we want to continue to just grow. I mean, I love what I do. I love the impact that we have on people every single day. I get up in the morning and I'm excited to go to work, you know, uh, maybe not the day after vacation, but <laughs> most every day I love going was today, to work. Was, was today your first day back? No, Monday, oh. Monday was my first day oh, back. I was going right? to say, damn, was, I got I, you. I was, I was struggling Monday morning, uh, you know, getting out of bed, especially after, you know, doing as, as much work outside well, as did I you was. Get up, did you get up and work out before you got to work? I, I did not. I did <laughs> not. That's, that's, you know, that's not my thing. It used to be my thing, but, um, you know, I, I love what I do every day because we get to make an impact. I was here late last night with, with a client, but I made an impact on that person's life. So I yep. love what I do. And I think that that shows, but if I can just continue to do that and see people and the people that were coaching advisors, the impact they're going to make, well, that's a direct reflection on the impact that I made on them, who they got to help. So I think 100%. thinking more about that impact. Yeah. yeah it's awesome, Ben. And, yeah. and listen, you know, everyone, as you know, the name of the show is small steps, big wins. If you look at you know, we just took a quick journey through Ben's career. But if you look at, he took very small intentional steps and he's, he won big and he's continuing to win big and his clients are winning big because he was okay being uncomfortable. So Ben Howard, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing with everyone the things that you've done to make you successful. And I'll definitely bring you back because there's many areas that I'd love to dig in with you on to uh, continue to impact. This is another way where you're going to impact so many advisors out there and entrepreneurs that now will go and impact their clients. So thank you again for that. I appreciate being here.
You got it. So Ben Howarth, guys, everybody uh, enjoy the rest of your day and make sure you keep listening to uh, Small Steps, Big Wins. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to Small Steps, Big Wins. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.